hosting I think about science journalism in the global south is there is a very very huge reliance on foreign media sources. According to the data analytics company Nelson, the amount of time spent accessing information about current news increased dramatically during the early months of the pandemic. I mean, science journalism in the global south in general is still at a very low base in terms of skills, expertise, the ability to communicate things through science and, and health and data. So in journalism, we are always taught to be neutral, unbiased, and fair. However, whether we like it or not, there's always an unconscious bias. Even scientists were struggling to understand the virus, let alone the journalists who, who don't have any background in science. Welcome to another episode of Science Journal. Today, we will be speaking about science journalism in the Global South. I am your host, Asmat Nakib, and today I am joined by my co-host, Nadia Hinai. Hello, everyone. And most importantly, I am joined by our guest, Dr. Anne Nguyen. Thank you so much for being here, doctor. Hello. Very good to be here. Dr. Nguyen worked as a science journalist in Vietnam before switching to a professorship. He is currently a professor at Bournemouth University in the United Kingdom, and he is a scholar who has written over 40 papers and reports in digital journalism, news consumption and citizenship, citizen journalism, science and health communication in the post-truth era, data and statistics in the media, and news and global development. So, doctor, welcome to Qatar, and thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please speak to us about your experience with research about science journalism in the Global South? Thank you very much for having me here. Um, it's really uh, a pleasure to be here. I used to be a science journalist myself um, uh, before I became an academic. Uh, and uh, so it's, it came with me for 20 something years now. And my research now is to do with looking at science and how, how to communicate, how journalists communicate science and health to the public. How do they deal with complicated science and health topics, uh, you know, how do they make it accessible to the public? How do they engage people with the, 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 the big science and health issues of the time in the context of both the Western US, UK context and also in the context of developing countries, especially Vietnam, which is my home country. So could you speak to us, please, about science journalism in the developing countries? What is the situation? Well, that's, a, that's actually a very big question. First of all, we need to be very careful. You know, when we talk about developing countries, we have hundreds of them. And each of them, we have a very peculiar situation. You know, we can't really cover. But the thing is, um, doing analysis of, of, of research in, in the past 20 years about science journalism in developing countries, there are several things that we can um, general or common patterns that we can uh, uh, outline here. I mean, science journalism in, 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 the, in the global south in general is um, still at a very low base in terms of, you know, skills, expertise, the ability to communicate things through, you know, science and, and health and data, all of those things through to the public. Um, and there are, a lot of, there are a lot of reasons for science journalism in developing countries to be less developed, to be still uh, in a state of uh, uh, needing more, much more improvement. First of all, let me put it this way. 
in Western countries, you have a lot of channels of science communication. The media is one of them. You have science museum, science events. You have a very strong science communication industry to remote science. Okay, but in the developing world, you still have that sort of science museum, but they are not that popular. And you don't have research institutions over there. They don't really communicate science to the public. They don't bring their research to the public. So it, it leaves journalism as the only major channel for people to learn about science developments. Of course, when, when you leave school, then you, the only channel mainly that you can get updates about science technologies, about, you know, new scientific research um, findings or new research issues or new challenges, both posed by sciences, you know, uh, and and all those, those things. To, to keep yourself updated of science, you need to rely on the media. But the media are not doing a very good job in general in the develop, developing countries. That is the media in the, the developed, in the Western countries are, have always done a good job, but it's much improved now, you know. But um, I wanted, in the global south, what we see is, you know, given the exclusive role of science journalism, you would want to invest into that if in an ideal world. It's not just improved science literacy, but it's also improving how people understand science, engage with science critically, not just in a way that to celebrate science or promote science. It's about, because science is a huge source of huge source of benefits to society and also at the same time it poses a, a, a lot of risks to societies so you mentioned like the difference uh, in media in like developing countries and for example in western countries regarding science journalism so i wanted to ask how do you think the attitude the public has in developing countries towards science journalism I think that's a very good question. I, I don't think there has been a lot of research looking at, you know, how people respond to science journalism in, in the global south in general. I don't think I haven't come across a lot of them, you know, so it's very hard for me to, to give you an answer. But there's a lot of research on the other side, which is to look, not a lot, but, you know, some, some research in, into how journalism deal with science in the developing world. Um, I, I think in, in terms of public responses, you will see that in these countries, in most of the time, the media is still kind of a, the main source of knowledge. So people rely on that. Not always, you know, a lot of the, the science knowledge being communicated to them is either very superficial or either could be inaccurate, celebratory, which is, you know, to kind of promoting science as a cheerleader. So journalism in, in these countries, they play the role of cheerleader for science more than to be a, a being a journalist. You need to be critical, you know, you need to bring the benefits of science to the public, but at the same time, you have to also watch, you know, all of these potential problems of science um, and help the public to understand that, to engage with that, to debate it, you know. So if AI is coming, it's a wonderful thing in numerous areas, right? But at the same time, it poses a lot of threats to people. Maybe, maybe people someday later, sometime you know, in the future, they will take over a lot of jobs from many people who are working in factories, you know, in a lot of sectors, for example. That's one risk. 
or the other risk may be, you know, sometimes who knows when the computer program takes over the human, when it becomes so, you know, much more intelligent than the human, you know, and that could pose a lot, if it could go out of control, you know, imagine you go to the, uh, the metro here, for example, it's a driverless uh, train. The first ever time I was on a driverless train in it, and then it was so, I mean, it, it, it didn't feel anything different until my, my colleague told me that it was a driverless, you know. But, you know, what is the risk of that? If some days, for example, the computer goes wrong, you know, I'm just saying that there are risks engaged. I'm not saying that these risks should prevent people from doing this or that, but it should get people to think. You, 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 I mean, it's not a job to get people to, you know, to entice people to prevent this or that, but it's just the job generally to understand, to get people to understand what are the advantages and the disadvantages, what are the risks and the benefits of, of the science or the technology, because that will help people to adopt it in a more a critical manner, you know, and it's important because science and technology plays a, a, a crucial part in development, you know. Anything you adopt now will affect your future. So the first thing I think about science journalism in the global south is there is a very, very huge reliance on foreign media sources. So basically, you know, both of the science and technologies come from the Anglo-American and European world. And so that's where the media, and, and the media over there usually pick it up first, you know, and then the media in Vietnam or Qatar or, you know, wherever in the global south will translate them. Because that, first of all, that's a quick way to do, to, to fill your pages. Because it's translation, it's not investing into doing your own journalism. Second, if they want to invest into science, journalism, in, in, uh, science, uh, to invest in uh, reporting local science, they will face the problem of, you know, the shortage of science ideas, okay? That doesn't mean they, they can't, but a lot of research, the, the things that are newsworthy in journalist language come from the Western media. Second thing is, even when they rely too much on foreign sources, that means, you know, there is a very minimal amount of, you know, local science journalism in these uh, countries. And even within that minimal amount, there are a lot of problems. A lot of them is very, very brief, you know, short, straight news reporting, which is against, not bad to inform people, to keep people aware. But that's for example. Then you, if you don't have the sort of uh, analytical reporting, at, you know, longer uh, in, in the form of feature or analysis or whatever, then people will stop their stop at the awareness level. They don't really get into the you know um, get deeply into what are the potential issues or you know problems or you know benefits. What kind of benefits it it can you know provide? What kind of risk it can you know pose to us, to our life, to our to humanity in or to our uh, local uh, community, local. Uh, uh, development policy. M most of science journalism, like like a lot of science journalism in in the Western countries, many years ago, is very much like cheerleading. Which you know, okay, right? Science. This breakthrough just comes out from this study. You know, there is a miracle uh, or cure just come out from uh, this research or whatever. But then that's hollow. A lot of that actually can be dangerous in in many ways. 
let me put science is a a long and accumulative process. It it takes you years to come up to some sort of you know solution conclusion, you know. But if you keep reporting single studies out and you know you make it as if it is a new in discovery, right? Then that could give a very false impression. So you have a study. So this is this is why you have a lot of stories in in the media in in the Vietnam, for example, eating this can cause cancer, and then eating that can cause cancer. And every day, you know, at some point you come to a point where okay, eating everything can cause cancer because they just every you know one research will tell you this and then that, and then so you you see of course you know there is some study that find this but. What is the overall picture? Is it the evidence conclusive or not? So that I mean, that's the sort of analytical science that you know reporting. The journalists need to provide more, to do more, and to provide the public. But that is almost not almost, but you know, largely absent from the news coverage of science and technology in in uh, the um, developing world. There's no denying that the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted news consumption and coverage. And according to the data analytics company Nelson, the amount of time spent accessing information about current news increased dramatically during the, uh, the early months of the pandemic. Uh, the data suggests that in March of 2020, individuals in the U.S. spent 215% more time reading news online relative to the same month in 2019. This figure was 180% in Italy, 125% in Thailand, 78% in Japan, and 52% in Australia. So how did this spike in news consumption affect science journalism in the Global South? In the Global South, it's a little bit more tricky because I said earlier, you know, there is a, a, a lack of local science to cover. A lot of what we know about the virus was actually come from, from the West, from US, UK. And a lot of these countries, you know, so journalists in these countries, they face the problem, you know, if they want to do this, a good science journalism about the virus, they still face the problem, you know, where do you get the local expertise, you know? And that was, it has always been a problem for science journalism in, in developing countries, you know. I'm not saying that there are not great scientists in the developing countries, there are a lot of them, you know. But compared to the West, it's not, you know, it's, it's still, you know, quite relatively few. You know, so in in many countries they cannot even have a, a system to record the data, because you know those days what is the most decisive thing of everything in containing the virus were the data, where the virus has gone, how it has spread, you know, what's the infection rate, because you have to have the data to devise policy whether you should lock down. Should you restrict certain areas of, you know, life, human daily life activities? Or should you lock down completely? Or should you open it again or whatever? All of that depends on the data, and the data come from the science. But countries like US, UK, they have a very strong, you know, base of scientific expertise. So they were quick, you know, they collaborate with, with scientists around the world, including China and, you know, other countries in the global south, they built up on a very strong scientific, you know, expertise. So they were quick to understand the virus, understand the protein and all those things, you know, and to go up to the virus, to the vaccine and, and all those things. And that was a, a huge source of news for journalists in the West. 
and a lot of that actually was translated again, go back to to the issue of the heavy reliance on foreign sources, you know. Because you, you don't have local sources, you don't have local expertise, then you have to rely on the, you know, New York Times, BBC, Daily Mail, uh, you know, Guardian, you know, uh, and all those newspapers to to uh, inform your old people about the virus. But all of that actually local news, uh, foreign news, not local news. One thing that the pandemic has told us is we need to improve science journalism in in the South. They were struggling. I mean, they were struggling for several things. For the general reason I just mentioned earlier, there is not a lot of investment in science journalism before that. There are very few specialist science uh, journalists in these countries. Health journalists in these countries are more about, you know, writing about lifestyle, you know, things that are concerned with daily life, like, you know, how your health, you know, how a disease could affect you or whatever, you know, rather than doing that sort of uh, analytical reporting of new science or new development related to science. So so they faced that problem when the pandemic came. They didn't have people to cover that. They didn't have people. They don't, even now, they don't have people to understand, you know, to, to have some sort of, at least some skills in science journalism to, even in the general skills in science journalism to apply to, you know, the reporting of the virus, you know, so they was completely in a very passive position. And that actually increased the news media in this country reliance on foreign sources. You know, of course, the, I'm, I'm not saying that the, the, the foreign sources are not important because they still keep people informed of what is happening because the virus is global, you know. But for them to local, to localize the global was completely out of their reach because they they, they don't have they, they, they don't know how to to bring that virus from the global in the global context to the local audience because they they are not used to it they don't have the expertise I mean a lot of them were struggle even scientists were struggling to understand the virus let alone the science generally the, the, the journalists who, who don't have any background in science you know and that gave way a lot to you know all sort of that part of the reason, I mean, not the, the the whole reason, but you know, it's part of the reason. That that's part of the reason why you know, misinformation and disinformation was just spreading all over the social media. You know, it's uh, in Vietnam, for example, it's, it, it was in the in the early days, it was completely you know chaotic. You know, I was I would follow, I, I monitor the misinformation and disinformation around COVID-19, and you know, there was all sort of conspiracy theories about the, about the virus. There's all sort of, you know, uh, treatments of the virus. You know, at the time, nobody in in, uh, in science world, you know, knew how what the virus is. You know, in Vietnam, there were a lot of people who go on social media and, you know, tell, tell, tell people, tell, tell other people to do this, to do that, you know, including uh, uh, drinking your own urine to, to treat the virus, for example, you know, and people did listen. Also, like here in the Middle East, like uh, the WhatsApp culture is very high here. And, you know, mothers and even people would just be sending random things, random theories, random medical advice, uh, not, yeah. uh, you know, from actual, you know, doctors and uh, which is very dangerous because yeah. a lot of people try these things like eating a whole clove of or exactly. eating whole garlic, which is actually yeah, pretty exactly. dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways, um, we'll move on to our next question.
Yes. So it is completely true that there was so much misinformation in the media during the beginning of the pandemic. And that you said that part of the reason for that is that the journalists who were covering that were not very well versed in how to do science journalism. So in journalism, we are always taught to be neutral, unbiased, and fair. However, whether we like it or not, there's always an unconscious bias, even if it's just the agenda of the news organization that we are working for. So how does this organizational bias translate in science journalism? Because when you think of science, you think of absolute neutrality. I mean, the issue of, uh, of bias, we, it depends on how you understand bias and, and you know, objectivity. I mean, I, 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 you know, as you say, you know, there is always some subconscious bias. We journalists, we don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, we shouldn't claim that ourselves as, you know, you know, somebody who actually completely detached from everything. We can't. What we do is, okay, admittedly, I am a human. I'm, I'm okay, subconsciously biased because of the way, uh, because of my background, because of the way I was raised, because of the society in which I live. Okay, fine. But the key thing, my job as a journalist is to try to remove that as much as I can. You cannot remove everything because it's subconscious. What I, what I do as a journalist, okay, I need to have a set of principles to make sure that, you know, my point of view, my personal, you know, perspectives are not, do not meddle into, you know, the things that I write. And in doing, what do, what do we need to do with that? What do I need to do as a journalist? I need to make sure that everything is based on facts, first of all. Okay. It needs to be factual. Thank you, Nadia. And thank you again, Doctor, for being here. We really enjoyed speaking to you. We learned a lot about science journalism in the Global South. And thank you again. We really appreciate your valuable insights. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Thank you very much. For listening to the Science Journal podcast. Don't forget to visit our website, sciencejournalqa.com, and follow us on Instagram at sciencejournal.qa. This episode was produced by Professor Anto Mohsen and his research assistants, Asma Nakib, Nadia Hinai, Elissa Mifleh, Ahmed Jassim, Russell Ajadou, Gabriele Gonsalves, and Shahil Yaket. It was edited by Ahmed Jassim, Asma Nakib, and Professor Anto Mohsen. Graphics and artwork by Ahmed Jassim.